Welcome to the Breakdown Pod. Super Rugby Pacific has one regular season round to go before we hit the playoffs. The teams that are going to make the playoffs are pretty much set in stone. There needs to be a couple of upsets, maybe, to change the picture. I'm going to catch up with Justin Marshall now, though. Marshall, I want to talk to you about one team and one team only. This team has won five titles in a row, three full Super Rugby competitions, and two Super Rugby Aotearoa competitions. And in some ways, it's like they're a little bit of an afterthought right now. Everyone's high on the Blues. The Blues have won 11 in a row. They've lost one game this season. But from your perspective, if you talk about a tracking of a team, a team that has been there and done it before, are the Crusaders as in a good a position as they've ever been to win another title? I think they're certainly capable of doing that. Probably the reason that they're not being talked about as much, Goldie, is the fact that they've slightly gone under the radar this season and they're just sitting underneath the surface of the competition simply because it's it's not been a season without faults. You know, they've, they've suffered some losses, I think three, so that's unusual for them. Um, and, and equally, you know, you think about the fact that they've, they've, they've strength, scrambled their way through a lot of games. In the back of everyone's mind, they always think about the Crusaders come playoffs come finals times because that's when they are so ruthless that's when they they really galvanize and get their motivation so I think the jockeying for positions just happens naturally and and everyone just I guess has an expectation that the Crusaders will be there somewhere and the biggest talking point of the way that the season pans out is everybody is looking to see whether or not the Crusaders get a home final get themselves in a position for a home final because that's where they are so difficult to beat. Yeah, reality is, though, the Blues have got that under their control now. It's, it's purely in their their hands. The Blues are on top of the table. They're yep. going to have a pretty good run in, but in saying that, looks as though they're going to have to go through the Highlanders. Looks as though, you know, if you look at the way it's drawn right now, the Chiefs and Hurricanes could meet in a, in that quarterfinal and they might have to match up against one of those two teams. But for whoever, for whoever, it's going to be a challenge. But you talk about this Crusades in the season. If you look a bit at those results that they lost, three points to the Chiefs, four points to the Blues, the Waratahs, three points. Those are the three losses. Yeah, Those are against through three very, very good teams because the Waratahs have shown they're not really a flash in the pan. They're not a team that isn't got some quality across their group. We saw them beat a Highlanders team, which didn't help themselves. But they were good against the Crusaders in Sydney. So this Waratahs team has shown enough. So when you look at that season for the Crusaders, the margins have been very, very small. And remembering, too, they started the year without Richie Moonga. They've rotated players. They've looked at their squad. I want to take you back to the game they played last weekend, or not the weekend before last, which was against the Brumbies. And it was that game, to me, where perhaps we saw what we're more likely to see, right, in terms of personnel yeah. going through. That was their number one side. I looked at it and went, you know what? It, when you go by that and you think who's fit and available, Jack Goodhue's come back. Is that that team, that, that that's world class, right? Yeah, absolutely it is. And I totally agree with you. When I saw that side selected, I thought, wow, that, that is a formidable forward pack in particular. You know, massive back row. Tom Christie, who's had a stellar season, has to come off the bench because you've got mm. firepower Matera who's just found another gear. How impressive has he been? Ethan Blackadder, you know, simply 
um, outstanding. Uh, and Cullen Grace, who he, who is another guy who's found his feet. So big back row, Whitelock and Scott Barrett was back. And then the front rowers that they've got probably have been a real revelation. You know, the emergence of, of Newell um, to, to add some firepower to that front row. You've got Bauer um, and obviously Cody Taylor, who, who will, you know, probably struggle a little bit to get back from that rib injury. But come the business end, he'll be there. So, yeah, that, that Ford pack in particular, I thought, man, that is big, strong, mobile. And pretty much physically, they just dominated the, the Brumbies in that game. And, you know, they, they certainly showed that that's the side you would imagine that if all players are fit, they'll pick. Probably the only player that was missing out of that mix was George Bridge got an opportunity in that game and Fai Nanuku came off the bench. But I think watching Fai Nanuku in the game at the weekend, he will probably get the starting spot over Bridge. The rest of the team, the only debatable area is the centres. You know, like there is only room for two, for three very good players and three All Blacks, Jack Goodhue, Braden Enor and David Harvey. That's the biggest area of concern for selection for Scott Robinson, but a good headache to have. Yeah, Mitch Drummond back, was back this weekend as well. I think that's pretty critical for them. Yeah. And know, in terms of, yeah. That, that one-two punch, right, uh, yep. between him and Bryn Hall. And, and both of those guys can offer and know exactly what's expected for me. With this Fletcher Newell thing, it's an interesting one, right? Because he, he seems to be in particular flying under the radar. Yeah. When we talk about a platform, you talk about dominating – Great to have an engine room in behind him, the likes of Whitelock and Scott Barrett. But I look at it and go, you know what? For so, so long, it was Owen Franks. He was the guy that just did it and did it and did it. You look at this group, are they going to be able to, if you think three weeks in a row, you think that group of players, because that's what you start talking about now, right? The ability to win three big games mm. in a row. They'll be at home. Um, you know, the matchups will probably be favourable. Do you look at that group and go, you know what, I'm more than confident that they can go to Auckland if they have to in a final and beat the Blues at home? Yeah, I do. Probably going back to your earlier statistics and the games that they've lost, the one area of concern for the Crusaders will be two of those games were at home, the Fortress, and two very good sides, and the Chiefs and the Blues came down and beat them on their own patch. Now that if you looked across statistically their success over the last five years, mate, that simply does not happen. So it does show some vulnerability at home, and it did show to the rest of the competition that, you know, at, this, at that stage that you can beat them on their own patch, which is not really something that I guess a lot of teams would feel confident about. So that's a slight concern in the way that the season has transpired, but they certainly would have learnt from those. And like you say, they've got a lot of firepower back since then, even though they've lost the likes of Moody out of the mix. Mm. You know, the emergence of some of those other front rows has been very good. Look, I, I certainly think that they have the ability, like they did with that game in Brumbies, although that was a different situation. Now, they've been on tour for a month. And, and you know, a one-off game where you have actually have to travel, you're not as galvanised, you're piecing together travel, you're getting to a new venue and you're playing. Like, when you're on tour... You just have a different mojo because you don't have your family and other people to deal with. You know, the team gets really tight. So whether they can go to Eden Park and win, I don't have any doubts that they've got the personnel to do that. Um, and I don't feel that that lack of experience maybe up front, particularly in the front row, and maybe a slight little uh, decrease in depth in that area. Um, I don't think those players would be overawed by an occasion like that. But they probably don't have some of the faces that you're used to in the past 
um, that you know that you can rely on who wouldn't be phased by going to Eden Park and winning a final there should they need to do that. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I reiterate the fact, though, this is this is a team that has won five titles in a row in the last five years. Yeah. Whatever title we put in front of them, they missed out on one last year, a trans-Tasman competition where points differential was the only reason they weren't in a final yeah. and playing for another title. So the pedigree is well and truly there. A few guys I want to talk about as well, though. David Harvelli, Jack Goodhue. You talk about the midfield in terms of where they sit in this group. Braden Enor has played a significant number of games. Mm. I think, in some ways, the next next month is going to be pretty critical for those two guys for the future of the rest of their season. Where do you see David Harvelli at right now? Yeah, it's really it's a really good point you make, and you know he's he probably hasn't had the season that he was after. It's been a little bit disjointed. He's had the odd time where he's been rested through uh, All Black minutes. He's also had time where he's uh, had had a slight niggle or knock and hasn't had probably the consistency that he got the year before. I think he's the type of player that needs to be out there each week um, because I, I think he thrives under that competitiveness and his body. Um, prefers to be out there rather than being rested and then played, then maybe get a knock and not play. He just needs regular game time. Um, you know, and obviously there's a lot of debate about that that 12 jersey, and that's, I think, where the All Blacks, if they were going to select them, would pick him. Um, I don't think they would pick him as a utility. There are too many other good utilities that can play centre out. You know, well, Lester Fyanganuku one, being one of those, Rico Iwani, for example. So I think he has to put his stamp uh, on that 12 jersey. You know, Anton Leonard Brown being missing helps that situation. His biggest problem is where the All Blacks want to play Jack Goodhue. Yeah. The All Blacks, now Razor won't obviously listen to the All Blacks because he's trying to win a title, but he had the good he had Goodhue at 12 last week. Um, in, in my mind at the moment, I know this will be slightly controversial, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, but I, I just don't feel Jack Goodhue's quite there yet. Um, I, I feel he's he's starting to look better, um, but I certainly think the way Braden Enor is playing that the best combination at the moment is Harvelli and Enor. And I do feel, and I have said this right from um, two years ago when they started selecting Goodhue at twelve, he is a centre playing twelve. Yeah, but compromising. I'm yeah, I'm with you 100. percent I thought he was a world class centre. Yeah. I think he was developing into Conrad Smith. Yep. He was developing into that guy who was making great decisions. Yep. And then we we started messing around with all of these positional changes. I actually think we've actually, in some ways, done David Harvelli a disservice in the fact that he was a great utility who could play anywhere. Mm. And I look at him this year and I go, it appears as though he's got bigger to play 12. Yeah. He's put on a little bit of beef because he recognised that the international level last year he couldn't quite punch over the advantage line. Your feet doesn't do it in tight spaces, mm. you know, against, um, you know, world-class teams. We weren't really giving him an opportunity to do what he does well. And and now I'm seeing a guy, like you say, who, who's not playing with the same level of confidence because it's like all of a sudden he himself has become limited to I'm a 12. Mm. Where he's, he, just, he, just, he used to play a little bit instinctively. Yeah. That's gone, you know, and that's where I'm a bit like Jack Goodyear. You, you move them. We moved them in one. And then all of a sudden, he lost the things that he was doing really, really well at 13. You know, and, and we, we're continually on that search. Um, the, you know, the, there are so many question marks about, you know, the next level and, and what's going to happen in regards to that. One player I think's had a really interesting season is Richie Monga. Because if you think about the guy who's probably been the most influential player in the last five years, 
at Super Rugby, it will be him. He, he is com- he's completely dominated this level, has done everything that's been asked of him, but he, he doesn't look as though he's in his control as he was the previous seasons to me, Marcy. I, I look at him and go, I can see all of the all of the things that have always been there, but he's not having the same impact. And it's it's making life more and more difficult for this Crusaders team because it's almost like they're not breaking the line like they used to. They're not getting themselves in positions he's not creating as well, whether or not other teams are shutting him down. Um, is there noise? The noise that's happening for everywhere else about how well Bowden Barrett's playing, because he is playing great rugby, is that noise going to start coming on Richie Moonga, the fact that, okay, you've got a lot to do in the next month to prove you're the you're the best first five in the country? Would that be fair on that? Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I think, and probably by his own admission, he hasn't had the season that we're used to seeing Richie Moonga have. And I think a lot of that, again, has been because it's been a disjointed season, you know, like obviously a late inclusion into the into Super Rugby, and it's taken him a bit of time to find his rhythm. And then he, you know, when he was looking like he was starting to come back into it, he was forced to step down again. Uh, and I, I just don't feel that that him having not enough rugby helps. You know, after a really disappointing season last year, I think really he just needed to get the boots on, get into the preseason, and get in get into playing Super Rugby straight away, and he didn't. And he watched everybody else gather momentum. And when he came in, he wa- he wasn't where he had been. I don't think there's any doubt about that. So he's been a bit of a victim also of not getting enough rugby. He's a guy that just needs to play. I think in a positive note, though, the Brumbies game, he stepped up. Uh, yep. I certainly think that he started to control things. You know, a couple of really nice offloads, a couple of very good line breaks. His kicking game was much better. And then again, um, at the weekend against the Drua, I thought he was excellent. You know, you can't massively gauge yourself against a side like that because they're such a hard t- uh, team to know where you're at and, and how the, yeah. and the game unfolds in various different ways. Um, but, yeah, if I was to probably be slightly critical, I think he's, he's again, he's he's a victim of a talented backline. Like, that is, yeah. you know, that's he, he's standing there at 10 and he's looking outside him. He's got a really good view in or flying a Nuku, Sevu Reese, Will Jordan. All that strike power, and yeah. he's thinking, right? Who do I hit? You know, what move am I going to call here? And so he's become he's becoming too distributor orientated. Yeah. Where you know, in the past, he had had the ability with a Ryan Crotty maybe outside him, who, who you knew what you're going to get, to engage the line line a lot more, not go so lateral, use his footwork, go hard at a, a, a two to three defender. Now he's just quite happy to prop and pass, mm-hmm. and if he does go in terms of take the line on, he goes a bit lateral, whereas his real strength was going forward first and then footwork at the line. And I just wonder whether or not, you know, he's got all of those players outside him who's trying to inject into the game. His game's suffering because of it. Um, And he's playing slightly deeper because playing slightly deeper gives them more time, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's what we've seen. Like, there's been a number of first fives of, yes, they may have played, tried to play flat, but if they're not attacking the line and they're not being a threat... They're actually setting up the players outside them for failure, but you know, and that's what that's what's interesting. It's like they've almost they've predetermined. There's still that predetermined. Okay, I want to think about the next phase rather than uh, I'm going to go. And I think that's been the difference with Bodie, is that all of a sudden we've seen him accelerate onto the ball. Oh. Even Stephen Petafeta, yep. Stephen Petafeta for the Blues. You know, is it that that obviously clearly Leon has driven these guys to when it's time to go. You've got to go. If you see half a gap, 
you got to attack it, attack that space, you know. And and you know, like you say, when when Richie Moanga is playing at his best, he is punching through holes on on inside channels against weak and, and slower defenders. Absolutely. And and let's throw another name out there, like just completely out of the All Black mix, but who has made a significant shift in that area is Bryn Gatlin. Yeah. Like honestly, the way that he has now flattened up brings Tapia and co into the game. He's actually making little line breaks, offloads post-contact. Yep. It never used to be in his game. And yep. he's playing as flat and as direct as what Richie Mwonga used to play. But yep. Mwonga isn't doing that anymore. And and I think that's where he needs to, you know, he's, he, he can't rely on this young stuff anymore. I think he's nearly 28. So yeah. he's not a rookie anymore. And he, he needs to grab his game and, um, by the scruff of the neck, and he needs to lead better uh, that side and that back line and be that general to help him to help the team. Marshall, I'm going to put it on you here. The TAB every week before every game gives us a percentage, a percentage on that game and that result. If I had to say you, what percentage chance do you give the Crusaders of going on and capturing another title, where would it sit? What percentage? How confident are you, given this group, and and and, and We've already seen that some teams have been affected late. Injuries, COVID's still striking from time to time. You know, there's still a possibility they're unsettling. But man for man, you know what the Crusaders have for them. What percentage chance do you give them of winning another title? Yeah, all all circumstances coming into play. So that's home final or away final, whatever it might be. And where the conditions, the lot. Uh, I would give them, built on their pedigree and historically how good they are in finals, 80% chance. 80% 80% chance of winning another title. I like it. I like. I was thinking to myself, he might go 50-50, might be. But, that, and, but, but history, history, history talks. Look, and I can't argue with that because you've got to know how to win. And that's what the Blues are holding on to from last year is the fact we know how to win. And they, they did it at home and they've controlled their destiny. And I'm sure if I asked a Blues man who's looking at all the evidence of talking about them, they would still have their doubts about the fact that they've still got to beat the Crusaders in the big game. And that's, I think, in some ways, as much as I clearly want the Hollanders to have success, I'm actually craving the big game at Eden Park. Me too. I'm creating 45,000. You know, uh, it'll be a great week, the the lead up into it, because we've been denied it over the last few years. But it's been teased that we'll get it, and then all of a sudden it gets cancelled again. I think we're all waiting for this one, and I'm hopeful it plays out that way. The other reason I wanted to talk to you is because that we've got so many halfbacks in this country right now, and we just had another one become eligible um, to be part of the All Blacks with Falau Fakatava. When we sit back, and, and, and this is, you know, I don't like putting in the selector seat, but it's more about you sit there and you look at the strengths and weaknesses, and we've seen what all these guys, and I'll rattle them off, you know, the fact that you know Aaron Smith's pedigree. You know exactly what Brad Webb has done in the jersey. TJ Piranara's experience. Finlay Christie and the job that he's done. Mm-hmm. There are two down in Christchurch who continue when they get opportunities to play well in Bryn Hall and Mitch Drummond. And then Falau Fakatava, that looks as though that drama has become, you know, it's out in the open now that they can select him. And there's a young guy, Cortez Ratama, as well, mm-hmm. for the Chiefs, who's, who's put his hand up and said, look, I'm not a bad footballer. You know, I'm young. I'm a, yeah. I've got a lot to offer. I'm a little bit different. You would have played this discussion out with so many people, and but we're getting closer. Time's actually running out for these All Black selectors. Where do you where do you see it right now? What are the givens and what are the things you would consider about all of these players going into this first series against Ireland? I think first of all, probably the form halfback in my mind at the moment is Finley Christie. 
Um, and that's, sub, that's that's because Brad Weber has been out. But he started to show again at the weekend, just only, you know, coming back into the mix, how good he can be. But through consistency throughout the season, Finlay Christie has been the best halfback. So he's the informed halfback at the moment. Um, there's no doubt that you could ever rule out Aaron Smith because the All Blacks, they, they build a game plan and, and their shape and their pattern on a player like Aaron Smith. So he's always going to be in the mix. He's struggling a little bit with his game at the moment. But a little bit of a victim of the way that the Highlanders didn't want to play rugby early in the season. Now they've sort of tried to change the way that they're playing. Um, and he's kind of stuck in the middle. Um, you know, I think his kicking game's been, to put it politely, average this year. Uh, and just haven't seen him running and engaging defenders and taking steps like like we saw Nick White take McDermott, Finlay Christie did um, against the Crusaders. You know, you need to have that in your game. He's just not doing it enough. But that doesn't mean that I feel that when he gets in that all-black environment, he won't be the, one of the best halfbacks in the world like he can be. So then the, the, the other conundrum is for the All Black selectors, you know, you got, who do you select between Finley Christie and Brad Weber? Um, that's a decision that that, that that I wouldn't like to make at all. Yep. There's not there's bugger all between them. They're going to take three though, right? Yeah, they're going to take three unless they find a way to take four. I don't yeah. know, you know. But you never know. Sometimes that all of a sudden there'll be a lot of people extras that come into camp. But if yep. you can only select three, yeah. And you start talking about it, and then like, so you've seen so name three then, right? Yeah. And so they, so you've, you've said between, are you, are you choosing between Brad Weber and yes. Finlay Christie for yeah. a reason? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the, that's the three that have got to fit into two spots. Wow. Uh, and then the third spot in my mind is what, what we need is we need a point of difference player. And, and that's that player that can add some variety that the others can't. You, you're Dupont. You, you're a player that has a slightly more physical game to them that doesn't bring players into the game pre-contact, but has the ability to bring players into the game post-contact. And there's only two in the country that can do that at the moment, and that's Fakatava and Perinara. Those two have the ability to take steps, to engage defenders, to push through those defenders and hit, and hit lead runners, um, pop inside balls, uh, and, and still get offloads away post-pre-contact. And... They, they have a point of difference of offering the defence something completely different than what the other three will offer. So we have to have one of those two in the mix somewhere. Um, Can I ask you a question about that then? Can I ask you a question about that? Because so clearly that's a role you're seeing coming off the bench. So is, is that because – is it coming off the bench? Is that because – is it um, tiring players? Is it um, – the nature of the contest late in games? What, why do you... Because by going by that, but what you're saying is, regardless of who you're picking at number two, or that extra between um, uh, Christie and Weber, they're not necessarily a bench player, right? If Aaron Smith's starting. Are no. you saying that you're, this third, this this other halfback who's going to be the difference is actually going to immediately make the 23? Is, is in contention to even against certain defences start because what the problem that we have now is... Defense, the defenses are so good now, and they're so good from first to fifth defender out. There's a massive amount of congestion and space in there, and if a halfback is only ever going to the breakdown and and distributing, yeah, he's distributing it quick, and sometimes they might be slightly on the back foot because it's quick ruck ball and they haven't had a chance to regroup. But if that ball is just continually skipping three players on a pass, then all the pressure is just going straight to the same zone. 
we're very predictable like that as All Blacks because that's our pattern and that's what they're relying on, that quick ball, that quick service and rifling onto the ball. When we come up against sides that slow our ball down, we've got to regenerate momentum and firing it out to a first five saying, good luck, mate. <laughs> yeah. So we need a nine, like I said, like the best in the world at the moment, the likes of DuPont, you see Nick White and Tate McDermott. Mate, they're robust, they've got footwork, they bring other players, they regenerate momentum themselves and then they get the backs rifling back onto it. We, we need the ability to have a player that does that and, and those two players that I mentioned are the only two in the country at the moment. Cortez Latima, for even his size, has the ability to, he's deceptively strong. Um, you know, th- there's no doubt that Christie and um, Brad Weber can do that with their footwork and their speed, um, but they can't get that ball, they can't do that post-contact. They're not yeah. strong enough. They're not physically strong enough like the other two. So I don't necessarily say that that player, you know, what, what, why have we never thought about Aaron Smith coming on with 30 minutes to go, bringing tempo into the game, you know, like it's not something that we're used to thinking about, but the way defences are now, it's maybe something that we need to think about to grow our game, our predictable game that is seeing us lose test matches. If we're going to win this Rugby World Cup, we need to not rely on what we've relied on for the last decade where Aaron Smith has been evolved, not just in his area. We need to evolve in areas that the rest of the world are evolving in. Marshif, so if I, I said to you that you talk about the defence and well, the best teams have the best defence. They have a consistent system where yep. they're continually physical, but but I still see the one place that they can always be vulnerable is through the middle of the park, mm-hmm. is through, a, 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 like you say, that those channels in and around the breakdown, which to your point, they're spreading and moving numbers away from. And so I look at it and go, it's it's almost not, it's not just about the ability of that halfback to run, but also to recognise that opportunity is the fact that, and to bring players with them. Yeah. And I think we're even seeing, I think we've seen a, a real improvement, and, and maybe this is to your point about a number of teams recognising that we we have to consider at all times the opportunity to go through the middle. For example, when um, Mock, uh, Hooper scored on the weekend, yeah. you know, all of a sudden Aaron Smith was taken out. Yes, they were down a man. All of a sudden, the, the, ma- the, the numbers are through the middle of the park. That ability to offload to a, two forwards who stay on their feet at a clean out and can you continue to support and if we don't if we don't adopt that like you're saying with our halfbacks are, are we are we almost i suppose removing an attacking opportunity for ourselves because it it seems to me it hasn't been our philosophy for a long long time yeah. you know I look at the the player that I felt you know was underestimated was Tawita Kubalo mm. and the role that he played for the All Blacks for a number of years right yeah that Falau Fakatava, um, TJ Piranara, the fact that their 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 space was pretty much in and around the ruck on defence and attack, two metres out, I can run, I can carry, I can defend, I can get on the ball. That's where I'm going to make my impact on the game. So so when you I see I look at Finlay Christie in some ways and he plays bigger than his size though, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like I I think he's he's closer probably than Brad Weber or Aaron Smith to being a, to be able to play that role that you're asking a Falau Fakatava because he is an angry little man. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. Yeah. And he loves to hit. Yeah. Loves to put it in and and you know, I you know, I think this is a great conundrum to have. But in saying that, I'll say this to you then. What what about because all of a sudden the announcement of um the two Maori games, New Zealand Maldives playing against Ireland, could that could that present the opportunity to do exactly what you're talking about? Brad Weber eligible, TJ Piranata 
eligible and you go, what? We get all five halfbacks playing rugby over that three-week period. Would that be would that be a good idea? And going, you know what? Because I, I, I'm torn on the fact, do I want the three best halfbacks yeah. with the All Blacks? Or do I go, you know what? This enables me to now have five guys playing against world-class opposition. Really, really good point. And I hadn't thought about it. But we've got a long season. You know, yeah. rugby championship, an end-of-the-year tour. These are three test matches against the Irish, which, Irish, which are vitally important. It, but it doesn't stop us from having the flexibility to experiment. And, and you know, the All, Blacks, the All Blacks winning test matches are paramount. Now, no, no doubt about it, the, the New Zealand Māori have an amazing uh, history about the, 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 their culture and the way that they play the game. So you don't want to undermine that and the way they play. You know, that's yeah. a, a part of their, their genetics and their DNA. But and that's fine. But that doesn't mean that you can't have a, let's say we used um, a D, a TJ Pelinato as as a example. He's he's in the All Black squad, but he's released to go play and start against the Irish. I think that's well worth considering. I think tapping back into your point, um, it's not it's not only the, the what the defence are doing in terms of knowing that we're predictable with that area of the game. It's the line speed, speed that defence are bringing now. Like history shows in the last two years, um, and even back to the World Cup in Japan, we are struggling against really quick line speed outside to yeah. in. Now, the, the way to beat outside in line speed is to go through the middle. You fracture it at that source, and then they can't come up hard from the outside. If you continually, um, even though you're getting quick ball, are skipping those players and not engaging that area um, with players taking steps, bringing others into the game. Finley Christie was taking steps and Bowden Barrett was running off him against the Crusaders. Yeah, That's exactly. what I was seeing. But he was recognising that that little area there is vulnerable. You've got a prop or a, 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 maybe a, a lock in that third second defender and they were punching momentum there. If we can do that, we will negate what every team will go. Even Italy did it against us. Kieran Crowley went, all blacks don't like line speed outside town. They don't like it. They can't get, they can't get the ball to their outsides. Even Italy... I think 11th ranked team in the world caught yep. us massive frustration. We scored four of our tries on the night through rolling walls. So we need to evolve. We, if we don't evolve in that area and bring those defenders out of the game, teams will keep hurting us with line speed. Yeah, and what, what I look at it is the fact that I think a lot of that comes down to our halfback driving our forwards who I think have the skill set. Massive. 100% have the skill set. We've got guys who can who can offload through contact, after contact. They only need to just get their arms free. Yep. We've been running guys into congested spaces for a long, long time, thinking about, to your point, regenerating possession, trying to get quick ball, but not putting their defence under any pressure, not you know forcing them into a situation where there's multiple threats. Um, so just lastly then, so if you're, if you're looking at Falao Fakatava and you're looking at how he has trended through the course of Super Rugby Pacific, has he done enough? to be in that real conversation, to, to go, you know what, I can trust him, or is the time for that gone, or the fact that we're going to have to get him, prepare him and get him ready? Because two years ago, we all loved what he was doing. He was he was, he was playing outstanding rugby. We, we'd all would probably, Marshy, have had him in our, in our squad, right? Yeah. We would have put him in our team. Yeah. You know, Finlay Christie probably hadn't arrived and wasn't part of that conversation, looking for that guy to do something a little bit different. TJ Perinara is playing offshore. A guy was there, he gets a knee injury. Have you seen enough? to suggest that behind an all-black team with an all-black squad, there's enough in terms of his IQ, in terms of his experience and all the things you need 
to be able to deliver against Ireland. There's, there's enough potential there, but I haven't seen enough of that potential consistently yet, and that's his biggest biggest issue. A halfback needs to be consistent, and at the moment he's still fluctuating a little bit too much. There's a real there's a there's a, there's a real drum to beat here about having that fourth halfback in the mix. If if selection wise are able to do that, bring him into the environment, you know, and, and just have him there and feel him out, and, and, you know, whilst he's involved, he's still released to go play his club rugby or his NPC, whatever it might be, and just let him grow in that environment. But if you were ruthlessly having to say we're only allowed to pick three halfbacks, at the moment, in my mind, there's one reason why I wouldn't select him. Not because he can't add impact and a point of difference off the bench. It's that in the starting opportunities he's been given this year by Tony Brown, he's let him down. He has not played well. He's overplayed his hand. He's tried to do too much. Don't quite think his kicking game's up to international level yet. He needs some help there. But you, you don't want Falau Whakataba on the bench and Aaron Smith gets injured in the first five minutes. That would really concern me because I haven't seen enough game management, maturity uh, and experience um, for him to go out in a test match against Ireland or whoever it might be, even Argentina, who are a very good side, Australia. Like, look at the teams New Zealand have got to play this year. Uh, for him to be able to have the, the the game to do that. And that's that's because he's he hasn't shown me that, that this year when he's been given his opportunities. He's not getting enough. <laughs> There's no yeah. doubt about that. But that will help. You know, but he's he's hamstrung by having one of the one of the world's best halfbacks to sit behind and he's not getting regular starting time to learn how to do that. Yeah, and, and that's critical at, at, at this level, uh, you know, is, is getting time, is making mistakes and learning from them and getting better. All right, Marshy, last question. Just to, just to finish off, we've, we've mentioned a little bit about the All Blacks, but Ireland, and they're gonna, it looks as though they're bringing a big squad, clearly, yep. and they're looking at, at, at strength. What's, what's our priority, do you think our priority should be into going into this series? How, how much into the future do we look, or do we just go to ourselves, you know what? There's a really nice job. There's a really important job we do right here and now. We always expect to win at home. We that's what our expectation of fans and and is we want our All Black side to win. Everyone talks about the fact there's a rugby World Cup. There's what I think we're talking eighteen or nineteen tests. That's the number waiting to hear on a test maybe at the end of the year, which is going to get an extra one going to be announced. But then Marshy, how important is this that three the three game series in terms of where Ireland are at, in terms of where we're at, and if it was if it was your approach, you go, you know what? I just want us to get some confidence in our game. And in terms of selection, is it, to your point, there's about 30 guys that I'm going to rely heavily on, and there's about six guys who are pure and simply for, they're there for the ride. No, there's no time, I don't think, to um, experiment against one of the world's best sides at the moment. Probably our biggest hamstring that we've had in the last couple of years is that continual experimenting and playing players out of position. He's got some tough calls to make, in Foster, some really tough calls. That first five is just one, and the centres we've mentioned, the outside backs, all areas of the All Blacks, there's plenty of depth. But what we've got to do is not try to experiment with that depth. What we've got to do is we've got to get our game and our, and again, I use the word, the evolution of our game plan, um, we've got to get it cranking. And that, that means that when we play against Ireland, we're not necessarily there to grind out test matches and, and, and win the series. We're, we're there building momentum. I don't like to look too far, much further than one, one test match at a time because of our history, and you'll be the same. But 
ultimately we've also got to make sure that we are getting ahead of where we've been. Uh, and, and that means probably selecting certain players in key positions that are going to be a point of difference for us in moving forward. And, and they're going to have to take some risk in that regard, but that risk they have to stick with. You know, let's think, think back to some of the successes of the past where players have been given opportunities, you know, like your John Alomus, um, who is an unknown. We've, we've got to change the picture to what the rest of the world is seeing. And it might, it might cost us a test match against the Highlands. I don't think it'll cost us a series. But, you know, that's probably a big pill that we're going to have to be confident enough to swallow for the, I guess, the, the big carrot, which is the winning of the World Cup. Everyone I talk to says 2-1. They yeah. just say 2-1. They don't say who's <laughs> going to win 2-1. They just think it's going to be 2-1. That's going to be the series. Well, make it, that, that make it, so that, it takes the pressure off. <laughs> <laughs> so you've said to me that there's an 80% chance the Crusaders can go on and win Super Rugby. Marshy, what about the next time we play golf? What is the what are the percentage of chance? Because the last time we played, you won, which was against the grain. It had yep. been a while. What are the what's the percentage chances the next time we play golf, you beat me? Oh, okay, yeah, I would go probably fifty fifty. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, you must have been playing a bit. I've hardly been playing at all. Right, this is game on. Next time we play, right, Marcy, thanks, mate. Good luck. Uh, he's rubbing his hands together, thinking there's money coming his way. Good chance, good chance. Thanks for joining us, mate. Always appreciate it. Likewise, Goldie. Thanks for having me, buddy.